Hello, microbe friends. I'm Dr. Justine Dees, and welcome to the Joyful Microbe Podcast. It's the show all about the microbes we encounter in our daily lives. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to share this show with you. Tardigrades are beloved microorganisms. These little water bears hide in moss, lichen, and bark of trees. When kids discover tardigrades, it often sparks an interest in science. If you haven't personally experienced finding tardigrade under the microscope, I promise it makes a significant impact. In this podcast episode, you'll get the chance to learn about tardigrades from Dr. Sandeep Eswarapa, who studies these delightful organisms in his laboratory. After listening to the interview, you'll see that he has a clear passion for the microbial world. So you're sure to enjoy this episode of the podcast. And uh, what we're going to talk about is, first of all, just what are tardigrades exactly and where you can find them, what other organisms live around them, what do they eat, and what different life stages they go through. And... People love to say that tardigrades are immortal, but is it true? Um, We talk about that and also how they can do this thing of surviving in these extreme conditions like in the face of radiation and dehydration. And then the last part, you really need to listen all the way to the end because there is a really cool activity that Sandeep teaches everyone how to do and... I think that you'll really enjoy it. So let's get on to the interview. Hi, Sandeep. Thanks so much for coming on the Joyful Microbe podcast. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you, Justin. I'm happy to be here. So you are an associate professor at the Indian Institute of Science, and your Twitter Twitter bio says you are traversing through the regulation and translation at its start and stop is our mission. Looking into teeny tiny tardigrades is our passion. And so today we'll be talking about your passion, the tardigrades or the amazing microbial creatures affectionately called water bears. But first, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about how did you get started studying tardigrades? Sure. Sure. Uh, in uh, uh, 2014, uh, there was a documentary called Cosmos uh, by Neil deGrasse Tyson, which was released. Uh, uh, in one of the episodes, I uh, uh, the host mentions that um, the tardigrades uh, survived five mass extinction, and he also shows the microcosmos of a drop of water, which you can observe under microscope and we can see these amazing, fascinating creatures. So that is the moment which triggered my interest in these uh, creatures. After that, I started reading about these tardigrades. Then I realized that they can survive any extreme condition you can think of. So uh, that time I made a my mind that I should study these organisms when I become an independent scientist. And that's how I started this. Mm, That's so awesome. Yeah, that's great that you saw a documentary and and it just kind of triggered this passion. 
Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what tardigrades are exactly? Because we kind of, a lot of people have maybe seen pictures of them. They look kind of cute under the microscope, but, but what are they exactly? So these are <clears throat> microscopic animals. When I say microscopic, uh, they're about uh, one millimeter or less than a millimeter. Uh, uh, to give you an idea, uh, it's about um, a thickness of five human hair or a tip of a pencil. Barely visible uh, uh, with the naked eye, but you know, with a simple microscope, you can uh, visualize them. Uh, these, they're closely related to insects and worms uh, in terms of evolution. And uh, they are limnoterrestrial. That means you can find them wherever there is some moisture or wetness. Uh, it could be on the bark of a tree or a green patch on a concrete wall or a wet soil. So wherever you can find this moisture and wetness, take a small piece of that and then put it in water and uh, observe under microscope, there is a chance that you may uh, observe a tardigrades. Oh, that's neat. I know that when I was trying to figure, like researching how to find them and look at them under the microscope, I tended to come up with people saying to look at moss and lichens, but it sounds yes. like you can find them in a lot of other places. Is it just that they're more common in moss and lichens, um, or is it that those are just the easiest places for another reason to find them? I think both are correct. Uh, even in my experience, we have found more tardigrades in, with moss and lichens uh, because it's easy to find. And also, <clears throat> those uh, uh, the microenvironments will have other organisms which coexist with tardigrades, and so the population is likely to be higher. So, in this, uh, because of that, the chances of finding them is also higher. Hmm. Okay, so there are other organisms, and I know I've seen like rotifers along yes. with tardigrades, which are other really cool-looking um, microscopic yeah. creatures. So, do they interact at all? Oh, I guess so, but I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think anyone has done any experiments yeah. on that. But usually, in uh, in nature, if you find several organisms living together there has to be some kind of uh, cooperation or mutualism kind of relationship. So mm -hmm. I assume that there is. Yeah. So, so what are they doing in these places? Um, and uh, do any of the things that they do affect us in any way? No, they are not harmful to us as are uh, <clears throat> any other uh, animals uh, I mean, at least we are not aware of uh, any such uh, um, harmful effects like diseases uh, to mammals or other big animals. Uh, they coexist with rotifers, nematodes. Nematode means small worms and um, other unicellular organisms. If you observe tardigrades from a natural wild isolate, you can see at least some 10 different types of creatures uh, together. Uh, and normally whenever there is a moisture, they will be walking around like water bears, like bears. And uh, once mm -hmm. there is dryness, <laughs> there is no wind, there is no water or 
there is a, a long uh, spell of uh, uh, like dryness. So gradually the microenvironment loses water and they shrink in size and they reach a physiological state, what we call tun state. Uh, a technical term is anhydrobiosis. And uh, that is the stage which is very important, very fascinating uh, as a scientist because tardigrades in that stage are resistant to several extreme physical stresses. It could be extreme pressure, extreme temperature, extreme radiation. I'm not telling one tardigrade is resistant to all of them, but you can always find a tardigrade which is resistant to any of the given physical extreme conditions, which are some some of them may not be even there naturally on on Earth. Uh, They may not be exposed to natural conditions. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so they'll kind of have different pressures on them that have caused them to have these um, abilities to survive in different conditions. So it's that like one tardigrade species is not able to resist all of those different types of conditions. Is that right? Correct, correct. For example, we have a uh, a tardigrade called Ipsibius in our lab. uh, And that doesn't... uh, uh, tolerate UV radiation. But we have another species called Paramicrobatus that tolerates UV radiation. Uh, but Ipsibius oh, okay. tolerates uh, Ipsibius tolerates That means uh, dryness. You can keep them dry for uh, several days and uh, they, it comes back to life once you add a drop of water. Uh, I, mm. We don't uh, completely understand how these tardigrades are uh, uh, resistant to different uh, physiological physical stresses, but uh, in last five six years, there have been a very interesting advancements in uh, scientific research. I am sure in next decade we will uh, learn a lot more about them and their resistance. So is there anything beneficial that tardigrades do for uh, to humans? Hum- humans? Uh, not that I am mm-hmm. aware of. Other than uh, they're very cute and uh, very fascinating to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm they sure give us I'm, a lot of joy, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure it, uh, tardigrades have made many kids to take up biology in their uh, uh, career. So... That's good mm, thing. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So when you work with them in the lab, do you isolate them from natural places or do you order them from a company? Oh, we don't order. Uh, at least in uh, in this part of the world, India, there is no company which sells tardigrades. We isolate uh our tardigrades from our institute. There are trees and concrete walls, which are big patches of algae, and we get enough supply of tardigrades throughout the year, most of the year. And we also have tardigrades, which we obtain from another laboratory in the United States. And that we are culturing in the lab. So they're uh, multiplying in the lab and we are maintaining that colony also. How do you maintain them in the lab? Like what kind of uh, uh, 
Like, what do you grow them in? Yes. Uh, the IPCBS tardigrade, which we have, which we uh, obtained from United States, that requires some algae. We all add those uh, algae that we grow separately, those algae, and those are herbivorous. So they eat those algae. So the locally available tardigrade, which is which belongs to Paramacrobatus genus, they thrive on nematodes. So we grow uh, uh, nematodes called C. elegans or Cenorhabditis elegans in our lab uh, for, uh, as a food for Paramacrobatus tardigrades. Mm. So we have two types in the lab. One is herbivorous, another one is carnivorous, if you can use those terms yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that you can have um, herbivores and carnivores that are tardigrades. I just hadn't really thought about that before. That's really funny. But yeah, all the way down to that small, you've got (laughs) ones that prefer algae and ones that prefer other animals. (laughs) Yes, yes, yeah. So um, even we have have a couple of videos where... um, these paramicrobatus are eating uh, the, the worms uh, like noodles. They just suck in the, uh, the worms in, into their mouth uh, like a string of noodles. It's fascinating mm. to watch. You know. <laughs> that is interesting. Um, so people sometimes like to say that tardigrades are immortal, they can't die. So can you explain this? Um, because... There was an event where they um, there was like a crash landing of tardigrades mm-hmm. on the moon, and it's thought that they probably died. But can you kind of explain that to us? Yes, uh, tardigrades are mortal, like any other uh, life forms. Uh, like they have different lifespans. For example, the paramacrobatus, which we use, they uh, stay for two months, uh, and uh, they are resistant to all these physical stresses. Doesn't mean that they're immortal because they they die of their natural uh, death. Uh, after if you maintain them for two months, after two months they slowly become weak. Their mobility uh, decreases. Finally, they stop moving. So when that's when we define that they are dead. And uh, by the time they would have already uh, laid eggs. And the, those eggs will multiply and, uh, uh, sorry, they, they, those eggs will hatch and uh, give rise to next generation. Uh, so regarding the incidents in moon, uh, after the crash landing, it's uh, as you rightly pointed out, they're very unlikely to survive there because, uh, as you know, there is no atmosphere, there is no food source. And uh, even if they are in tons, they cannot survive for long uh, in that in that particular stage, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it's like we like to think of them as being very special and they can sur- survive lots of things, but it doesn't mean that they they're immortal. <laughs> they're yeah, so special. Yeah, that they're yeah. immortal. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay. So you mentioned earlier the ton state, and so tardigrades have these different states that they can exist in that allows them to either be active or not active. So do you mind kind of going through those different states? Yes. Uh, 
broadly uh, they are in three stages uh, these tardigrades first stage is the eggs okay uh, so in the egg stage where, where the all the development happens once the development is complete the the adult will come out of the uh, egg uh, that is hatching and these adults as long as you give food you give uh, wa uh, uh, water and uh, uh, the ph and other things temperature everything is fine they are happy they will be feeding and they'll be wa walking around they're fun to watch but if you mm -hmm. start giving some kind of stress like remove water slowly or increase the ph uh, usually what we do is we just to reach a certain stage we remove water gradually so they start shrinking into a small uh, ball which is which will be about one third of the adult size and that stage is called turn stage you can imagine them as a seeds of tardigrades so now their mm -hmm. physiological processes are all paused of course we don't know the details of still a lot of research is going on in this stage and this is the stage which is resistant to most physiological stresses extreme radiation extreme temperature name anything so this is the stage which gives tardigrades ability to resist such stresses again hmm. we to completely don't know the mechanism behind this resistance but this stage is responsible for that resistance so to summarize there are three stages eggs adults and turns and when they're in that um when they're transforming into the ton state, do you track that in your lab and watch that happen? Yes, we have done it a few times, uh, especially whenever a new trainee comes to work in tardigrades, that's the first thing they do and they it kind of motivates them to do more research. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have done it multiple times watching them. And also, uh, if you in the to the ton stage, if you add uh, some water, a drop of water, they start expanding and they, they, they come they turn back to motion and they'll start moving around within uh, 30 minutes that's also fun to watch so they go back to their active state uh, in yes. about 30 minutes but how yes. about how long does it take to go into the ton state yes uh, actually <clears throat> viable ton takes long time so usually we keep for uh, uh, overnight to 24 hours but if you if you immediately remove water they shrunk and they uh, they enter a state called turn state but that state will not be viable because you have not given enough time for those active forms to reprogram their physiology to uh, stay viable for long in that stage so that's why slow and gradual mm. is important. That's what they are exposed in, in nature also, right? So in nature, no one removes water mm. immediately. So because when sense. there is when there is no rain, so gradually the moisture starts uh, disappearing from an algae patch, right? So they gradually reach that stage and they stay till the next bout of rain or water content uh, in that piece of uh, uh, algae patch. 
How long can they survive in the ton state? Uh, it varies from species to species. Uh, in our lab, we have observed for up to 15 days. Uh, but there are reports of reviving tardigrades three decades after they were taken. Uh, there was a report in, uh, I don't remember the journal, but it was a Japanese group. They reported that in some biological sample specimens, which were isolated three decades back, they took it out and when they <clears throat> took it out from the freezer and when they observed, so they, they could see the tardigrades uh, coming back to life and then moving around. So uh, at least this is the longest recorded uh, incidence of reviving mm. a tardigrade uh, from ton state. Okay. So you can, when they're in their active state, they last maybe a couple of months, but then in their ton state, people have found that they can live up to three decades and mm. maybe longer, but just hasn't been recorded yet. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so if we better understand how tardigrades survive these conditions, um, is there an application of this work like to help humans in some way or an everyday life application? Yes. Yeah. Uh, for example, from our own work, uh, we found that uh, one of the tardigrade species uh, was resistant to UV and that's that's because of the autofluorescence it has. And one application I can think of is if we identify the compound which is responsible for the fluorescence, that can act as a very good sunscreen agent, which can protect us mm -hmm. from uh, sunburn. That's one example I can think of. And also, okay. it, to extrapolate too much, I can say that if we understand uh, how uh, a physiological state of a cell can be paused for a long time, it may have some application, future application in space travel. Of course, it's too far-fetched, but hmm. it is not uh, an impossible thing. Yeah, yeah, that's imagine, interesting. Imagine, yeah. Yeah. Um, and okay. also, another, so, uh, sorry, one more, one more point. And also, they have, uh, they can resistant, they can, sorry, they can resist uh, extreme radiation. That means they have uh, ability to uh, uh, repair their genome or the DNA very uh, effectively. Uh, so if we understand these mechanisms, maybe there is a way uh, it will help uh, to apply this knowledge in anti-cancer therapies. Mm, Again, yeah, bit, bit stretched or far-fetched uh, application, but yeah, it's it's a it's a plausible. Uh, imagination. Um, so I read that you talked about how the tardigrade can be used as a model system. Um, so what are some examples of model, like this working as a model for scientists to be able to study um, different things and different um, aspects of life? So what, what are some examples of ways that tardigrades have been used in research besides just understanding their basic physiology? Right. Uh, so it, it has been used a little bit of, to understand the development also. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, because uh, the, there was a study uh, which showed that 
tardigrades are they just correspond to the head part of an insect so if you mm-hmm. divide the body of an insect into head thorax abdomen uh developmentally speaking the tardigrades is just the head part so it's also known as walking head uh, that was the title of the paper published uh, <laughs> regarding this yeah so that's one uh, f- uh, one aspect which is interesting and uh, where uh, tardigrades can be used as or has been used as a model system another aspect is obviously uh, to study how we can how a life form can resist extreme uh, physical stresses yeah, as you know they have, it has uh, some tardigrades have been taken into space uh, and uh, they have survived the the space radiation and the vacuum and the ultra low temperature there and then they came back and they, and the scientists could revive them so astrobiology is another field where tardigrades are will be an excellent model system uh the third field will be dna repair mechanisms uh, so the anything to do with radiation is is closely related to our genomics genome stability that means dna damage and how we can repair it if an organism can resist a uv radiation or other kind of beta or gamma radiation it means that organism is capable of repairing its genome or the dna very effectively so maybe the tardigrades have uh, unknown pathways or mechanism to maintain the integrity of their genome so this is another field where tardigrades can be used as a good model system hmm that's interesting that they are like the head of an insect It's really strange to think about. Are there any implications to that? I I mean, oh, I think it's just academically I f- find it very fascinating. I mm-hmm. don't know any other implications uh from that uh, piece of work. Hmm. Um so what have you learned overall from your work that has changed the way you think about microscopic organisms in your daily life? Yes, yeah, microbes though they are small, though they are very simple, I think they can do fascinating things which we can't even imagine other mm-hmm. than this like uh they can enter our system and then hijack the entire our body functions of course i think mm-hmm. now everyone knows especially after this pandemic how these teeny tiny organ microorganisms can control our life and they uh, recently after the advent of the crispr um system till 2010 most of the immunology classes we used to teach okay adaptive immune system is found only in vertebrates but after 2010 uh, we know that uh, the crispr is the adaptive system of bacteria though they are simple small they have some fascinating uh, phenomenon in their uh, physiology which is remarkable and uh, yeah and those can be useful to us for example crispr is used uh, can be used mm. to edit the genome uh, 
So the, though they are simple, though they are small, they can do many more things which we cannot do. I think that mm-hmm. that is the main message I have uh, learned in the last 15 years of my journey as a scientist. Mm. And those things I think that's can really be uh, and those things can be useful to us if we uh, utilize them properly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's really a good point. I mean, they're they're tiny and mm. we're within the past few decades we've only started to really understand what they're doing and mm. and how they're doing what they're doing and then all the things that they can do that we can't do and then how we can harness those things to potentially help us um, yes. because of course we're always thinking about <laughs> how yes. as humans can we utilize these things <laughs> for ourselves but also I mean from just a basic level they're fascinating tardigrades are, are an perfect example of just an organism that is just really cool and people just love and and love for just what it is and and how it looks and the things that it can do but then it's neat how we can also study these organisms and find that they are helpful in lots of ways yes even if they're not helpful directly so look at the mm-hmm. number of kids who have we have enjoyed watching tardigrades and mm-hmm. and the number of kids who have gone out to the field to find tardigrades and they ended up finding something else and that has mot- uh, motivated them to pursue research in microbiology and mm-hmm. i think that itself is an enormous uh, application of uh, this microbial world right it is motivating yeah. many many students to pers- pursue science biology as their career yeah yeah i think that's such a good point i wish that i had known about tardigrades when i was going to school but (laughs) i ended up discovering microbiology anyways (laughs) me too same Um, here (laughs) okay and so you have an at-home microbiology activity for us so can you tell us about it so we can experience the microbial world in a hands-on way yes uh, of course, uh, this is uh, what I'm going to explain is for uh, high school kids. Uh, of course, anyone can do. Yeah. So, if you, uh, uh, of course, I, I am sure you have this activity uh, the, that is go to go outside, take a sample from the tree bark, algae, moss, lichen, whatever and then put a drop of water and observe under a microscope. Yes, you are going mm-hmm. to see several creatures. It could be tardigrade, it could be rotifers, it could be a, um, a nematode. Nematode means worms, like C. elegans. And it could be a small uh, unicellular organisms which will be floating around. So, if you, of course, this activity, many kids would have already done who are interested in microbes. So, I want to take this to the next step. So that sample, which you have observed under microscope, it will be uh, a drop of water, I, I, I assume. That one, don't do anything. Just keep it outside in a dry, uh, warm place. With time, the water will evaporate and the entire uh, sample becomes dry. So... Uh, watch them closely uh, like I think it will happen within one or two days 
once it is dry go back to microscope and then observe it again it is possible that one or some of those organisms have reached this anhydrobiosis stage or tan stage right so that is fascinating now mm-hmm. add a drop of water back to them and keep observing under microscope in front of your eyes you can see if the conditions are perfect or good some some of those organisms which have already gone to tan will come back to active form and wiggling their uh, stretching stretching back and wiggling their limbs and probably moving around and then starting their activity mm-hmm. again so this 15 minutes of observation will be if you are watching it for the first time it will be uh, remarkable you will never forget mm-hmm. in your life yeah i i think that's something which i have all, i have done myself uh, in my laboratory and uh, i have enjoyed watching it at least yeah. my stu- my students have shown me uh, three four times and i have whenever they show me all these things i go and then i make it a point to watch them coming back to life it's like a dead that. man yeah, yeah yeah i mean if i can use the phrase it is like dead man coming back to life <laughs> i love that that is such a great idea i love that that's a that'll be a really fun activity for people to do it sounds really simple too yeah and i think after having you talk about the time that it takes for them to um first go into the tan state so no one would want to go and like dry them out quickly because then they would kill them Correct. but then like cuz you explained that really well earlier and then understanding that like it can you know take like 15 to 30 minutes or so and then you'll actually watch them come back to life so i think that's really cool and i'm glad that you talked about that a little bit earlier to to go hand in hand with this activity yeah Yeah, that's great. Well, um thank you so much. This has been really great. Um oh, do you have any <clears throat> do you have any resources? So books or websites or articles on this topic that you could recommend to my listeners that um would allow them to kind of go deeper on this topic? Yes, I uh, I on tardigrades, I I'm sure if uh, if you google they'll find a lot of information, but I I would like to recommend one book called Microbe Hunters. It's not about tardigrades, mm. it's about other microbes. Mm-hmm. Any microbiologist should read that book. Uh, I I this one I strongly recommend that book. Yeah. Uh, rega- uh, regarding tardigrades there is one uh, um I think it's a quite famous book uh, uh Water Bears the Biology of uh, Tardigrades by uh, Ralph Oshel. Um that's I mean if you want to If you want more information, I think uh, this is the book to follow. Oh, that's perfect. Um I love Microbe Hunters. I think that is such an awesome book and um so I have not read the the book Water Bears though. So that'll be really great. Um thanks for recommending those and um thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can everyone find and follow and connect with you? I am not in social media. <laughs> uh I, of course i i can send you the link to my uh website of my laboratory but my lab has a twitter page ishwarappa lab at uh, i mean that's the twitter handle okay 
Perfect. So is it someone from your lab that um, posts on your social media? Yes, yes. Yeah, one of my students uh, handles that. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, then we'll link to that Twitter account. Um, yeah, please. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been really fun and so interesting to hear about your work and your thoughts on tardigrade. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Justine. Thanks for the opportunity. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. And you are motivating so many students to take up microbiology. And uh, I wish I had this when I was a kid. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Joyful Microbe Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to help others who love microbes to find the podcast, then please leave a rating and a review for the show. And tell a friend. To learn more about the Joyful Microbe, head on over to joyfulmicrobe.com where you will find the show notes and all the links and resources mentioned. If you love Joyful Microbe and would like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a virtual tip through coffee. The link is in the show notes and on joyfulmicrobe.com at the bottom of the page. Thanks again, microbe friends. Talk to you next time.